Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, the sports editor at the Providence Journal. With me is Bill Koch, our Red Sox writer. Bill, you and I, um, we were uh, burning the midnight oil last night. Not together, of course, but uh, uh, the uh, business of the NFL draft kept us busy. And obviously watching uh, the Red Sox, which I did very little of and you, you did uh, more of. Um, but the NFL draft was interesting uh, here in New England for and in Rhode Island in particular for a couple of reasons. Number one, the Patriots did something. They didn't trade out. They didn't trade down. They picked at their <laughs> right. pick, and they got a quarterback of all of all players, which was a bit surprising that Mac Jones of Alabama was there at 15, but there he was, and they took him, and uh, could be an interesting and important pick for them. Highest they've selected quarterback since Drew Bledsoe, correct? That's what I mean. That's what I'm reading today. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, so uh, definitely bring some uh, bring some drama to that quarterback room. Uh, they still obviously have Jared Stidham and Cam Newton, and Bill Belichick was quick to point out that Cam Newton is still the quarterback uh, moving into the season. So we'll see how all the, uh, that all plays out. Uh, and a uh, uh, little closer to home, I guess, uh, the wonderful story of uh, Providence's own Quiddy Pay, uh, who starred at Bishop Hendrickon High School here in Rhode Island, uh, got a scholarship to play football at Michigan, and last night, um, that dream of his to play professional football was realized when he was selected at number 21 in the first round by the Indianapolis Colts. And, Bill, this is somebody you have a little bit of history with because, obviously, you covered and still do uh, at times high school sports here in the state. And uh, Pay was somebody that people uh, took notice of when he played. What a wonderful kid. What a great story. Uh, couldn't be happier for Quiddy, his mom, Agnes, his brother, Comate. Um, you know, just to think how much uh, that family's life has changed. Uh, so quickly. You know, so quickly uh, from one generation to the next to the next. And, and, you know, I wrote about this in the journal earlier this week. Uh, for folks who don't know the story, um, his mom escaped a couple civil wars in, in West Africa, uh, immigrated to the United States uh, with her two sons, um, you know, and, and her vision was to make a better life for them. Uh, you know, Quiddy's promise to her when he got accepted into Hendrickon was at some point he would get a college scholarship uh, and she would not have to pay for his education going forward. Uh, there wasn't necessarily any thinking that, that he would be a first-round pick in the NFL draft. That that was so far into the future, you, you couldn't see it. Um, you know. But now that that has been realized, I think the best part of last night was uh, Quiddy in an interview with Maria Taylor on ABC uh, telling his mom that she could retire. Yeah, that she's which, retired now. Yeah. You know, I, I think... Uh, 
that's something that every son would would like to tell his mother. Yep. Um, we'd all like the ability to do that. Uh, very few of us actually realize that dream um, and to watch it come true for for him. And keeping in mind that, that he's such a wonderful kid um, on top of it. Uh, it, 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 was, it was a great night. It was a proud night for sure. And it was, a, it was certainly a proud night for, for him and his family. And it was also, I would say, kind of a proud night for Rhode Island high school football too. You know, I mean, we, this is not a, uh, we are not a football factory, but to have somebody uh, who, has, who has starred here and played uh, football in the Rhode Island Interscholastic League and then go on to become, uh, you know, a force at a at a, a big time football school like Michigan, and then get drafted first round in the NFL. I mean, that that certainly, I think, uh, speaks well of of the local competition. Uh, so uh, a, a big night all around, uh, and again, you know, uh, lots of congrats to Quiddy, his mom, his family, uh, and uh, it'll be interesting and fun, I think, to watch him moving forward uh, as his career progresses, hopefully for a long time, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the rival Indianapolis Colts. You know, the, the crazy thing to think is, you know, I like, I like to think of myself as young, even though I'm not <laughs> anymore. Uh, you know, I'm on the wrong side of 40, as, as folks would say. Um, but the crazy thing is, is to think, you know, when I started out, there were two pros playing high school football in Rhode Island, Will Blackman and, and Jamie Silva. Um, you know, so you sort of get a sense of, of what special looks like, yeah. what different looks like. You yeah. know, both of those guys ended up playing at Boston College. And, you know, obviously Jamie won a Super Bowl with the Colts and, and Will had a long career in the NFL as a defensive back. You know, I, I think 12 years, um, you know, and also ended up winning a Super Bowl as well with the Giants. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's it's crazy to think that, you know, considering how small a state we are, how few people we have. Um, you know how little history we have in in terms of professional athletes and, and football players specifically. Yeah. Um, you know to see guys come out and, and have a chance to play in the NFL, it's just it's wild to think. You know, I knew him when, or, or you know, I saw him when, and, right. and right. you know, you're thinking, oh, he's good, like he's special, he's really different, but you never quite know how good. Right. And right. and then you see it validated like this, and you're like. Oh wow, that's pretty cool. Well, it's been a while. The last time it's, it was 1939 when there was somebody who was drafted in the first round, a, a Rhode Islander, Belasmansky, went to Central High School and then taken, uh, and then played at Holy Cross and then taken by the Chicago Bears. Um, and Quiddy truly is a Rhode Islander. I mean, he came here as a, as, a, as an infant and grew up here. It's not uh, it's not the Paul Konerko of uh, of the Rhode Islanders who was born here and whisked away at a young age. He actually, you know, he he grew up here and we we, you know, gl- we glom onto him for I, as I long as we can. I understand how Rhode Islanders think too. Uh, He's like yeah. they drive on one they drive on ninety five and they become Rhode Islanders. Uh, we we do we do we but, we, uh, we search for every connection we can find. You know, oh, this guy spent five minutes here once. You know, we, we're claiming him because. He's doing something good. Right. It's funny. Well, you know, having grown up in Fall River, uh, you know, uh, people uh, always thought I was a Rhode Islander because I, I had the accent and all that. But, uh, you know, I was quick to point, oh, no, I'm from Fall River. I'm not from Rhode Island, but pretty much I'm from Rhode Island. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm going to save my <laughs> Fall River jokes because I value my job uh, and, and I don't want you to fire me. And we'll do that after uh, we'll do that after the podcast. So anyway, this is a baseball podcast. The last I checked, yes. So um, we have some um, we have some interesting developments with the Red Sox in the last week. Uh, they are uh, still, by the way, still in first place. If you're wondering, they are one of a handful of teams, maybe four teams, that have reached the 16 win mark at this point. 
they are still sitting on top of the American League East at uh, 16 and 10. They dropped a game last night against the uh, Texas Rangers, but uh, had two kind of impressive wins prior to that against the New York Mets down at uh, uh, I want to say Shea Stadium at City Field yeah. um, down in uh, down in New York. And uh, so I want to start by talking about their pitching and specifically about um, Garrett Richards, who uh, it's gotten off to kind of a rough start and then really put it together. And we hope it's a sign of things to come. Uh, got his picked up his first win. Uh, I want to say it was Tuesday. And uh, yes, Tuesday night. seven innings. Uh, gave up a home run, but came away with the win. Scattered, uh, I want to say seven hits. And really looked in command, was locating his pitches, and uh, this uh, there was a reason for this. I mean, other than um, you know him kind of uh, focusing, there was a reason for this, wasn't there, Bill? Uh, changed his delivery, made yeah. made a significant change in his wind up with pitching coach Dave Bush. Um, you know, it was a lot less east to west and a lot more north to south. He he took out a lot of extra movement mm-hmm. in his windup that, that sort of got him going more downhill to the plate. Yep. Um, you know, sort of kept him a little more contained. He was a little ungainly. Yeah, before. he was kind of like right, all elbows and knees, and and you know, he's he's kind of a lanky guy, and and yes. that stuff can get you kind of off rhythm very easily. It, it's very difficult to find your timing and and find your sync in in your delivery when you're six four or six five, and there are arms and legs going all over the place. Right. And, you know, once you lose that little bit of timing, uh, you know, we're talking about. Major League Baseball here. The the margins for success are so fine yep. uh, that you if you lose even a little bit of your release point or you know a little bit of movement here or there, you know a tick or two of velocity makes all the difference in the world. You sure. you go from someone who could be a good pitcher to someone who is an average pitcher or somebody who's out of the league. Yeah, um, yep. you know just those little degrees of of good or great. Make a huge difference, and and so for Garrett Richards to find a delivery that worked for him, to be able to find the strike zone, ten strikeouts and no walks in, in that outing, yeah. um, you know, in a two to one victory over the Mets on Tuesday, um, really encouraging because to this point, uh, you would have said he's been the worst Red Sox starter. Um, you know, he he's been the guy who's sort of the anchor in the rotation, and, and not in a good way, right? Um, right. You know, and someone who they made a significant investment in in, in the off season and. <clears throat> You know, to that, and we spoke to this on the podcast last week, he was someone who was going to be given a lot of leash, uh, somebody who was going to be given a, a significant amount of starts to try and figure it out um, because they had invested so much. Yeah, and, ten, and, ten million for one year, right? And, and you just couldn't have him pitching poorly, you know, over the course of what would have been, what would have been you know, maybe even the next two months, let's say. Right. right. Um, you know, you're not going to designate him for assignment until you get to like June or July, like it would have been out there in the distance. Yeah. Um, you know, so for him to find something that, that worked, um, to feel confident about it, and, and to see results immediately, uh, I, I thought that was really encouraging. It, it was very encouraging, and it was it was big at the at the moment I think, or at the time, because uh, you were staring at a Wednesday start or a Wednesday game against uh, Jacob Degrom. Yeah, and uh, you know, Jake De, Jake Degrom uh, is one of the best, if not the best, pitchers in the game right now. Uh, so you wanted to get one under your belt, thinking, well, if we split this two-game series, no, you know, no big deal. We're on the road. You want to at least go 500 here. But lo and behold, uh, they figured out how to beat Degrom in a very close game, a very well-executed game. 
they uh, believe only got three hits, but they they uh, they scored when they when they had the opportunity. Uh, and what is it with them and Jake Degrom? They they've they've been able to kind of beat him uh, more than once here. Uh, and uh, you know he's he's obviously one of the best in the game. Uh, the Red Sox just I guess have in recent in recent matchups had his number. They they've had uh, he's had four starts against them. He hasn't won any of them. Um, yep. They took advantage of the one opportunity they really had in the second inning. Uh, Xander Bogarts hits the leadoff double. Raphael Devers hits a shot to the right side, gets him over to third. Christian Vasquez doubles to right center. Um, you know, even with that said, with one out, Vasquez hits the ball in the air. It would have been a sacrifice fly. So, good situational baseball. Um, and then Degrom. I, I mean, just the reality for Jacob Degrom is that the Mets don't score for him. Right. I, I mean, it's criminal the the way they perform for that guy. Six innings, one run allowed. It's the thirty third time in his career he's gone at least six innings, allowed zero or one earned runs, and not wow. gotten a victory. I mean that's a crime. It's just it's so bad. And and the Mets' offense right now is it, they are terrible. I mean they're towards the bottom of the league in just about every statistical category. Um, you know Nick Pavetta went out five scoreless innings. Garrett Whitlock behind him two scoreless innings. Uh, you know and and the Red Sox bullpen cleaned up behind. Uh, right. You know Adam Ottavino and and Matt Barnes finishing up behind. Uh, you're right. That's sort of the bonus game. That that's the one that you don't necessarily expect to win. You you got Richards throwing very well the night before. You get a win in your pocket. You have at least a split in two game series. You go out and beat Jacob Degrom, and and all of a sudden you've won three games in a row. The six game road trip, you're two and zero. Oh. You only need one more win to split the road trip. Right. Um, you know that's sort of the the bonus game that that sets you up going forward into the weekend against the Rangers. It, that's that's the type of game that can really give you a lift. As you as you have mentioned uh, in our discussions in the past week here, they they caught the Mets at a good time. They did. You know, they really did. They you know the Mets have some have some talent in that lineup. You just wouldn't know it right now. No. Lindor is really struggling. Uh, but uh, you know who knows what what the Mets are going to look like when they meet them again. I think they meet them August or September or something like that. But uh, September, yeah, yeah. They so, have two games at Fenway in September. So it was good that you can jump on them when they're down because hey, as you know, all the wins count the same and all the losses count the same. Doesn't matter when they come. That's right. Uh, so you uh, you brought up Adam Ottavino, Bill, and this is just a little side note, and uh, it's it's a, a impromptu trivia quiz. You ready? I'll try. Okay. Uh, there's no way I would have gotten this because I looked it up. So Adam Ottavino wears the number zero. Yes. That is a number that only two Red Sox players have ever worn in the history of the game, or the history of the franchise, for Red Sox players. So, you know, it struck me as, you know, okay, he's wearing number zero, and who else wore number zero? So I had to look it up. It wasn't somebody way back when. It was only in I think the, I might have in, in the year, in like two years ago or three years ago. I think Ooh. I might have him. Who? Brandon Phillips. There you go. Yeah. Wow. That's very impressive. Brandon Phillips was on the team for, was it even a full season, was it? It was about five minutes at the end of 2018. <laughs> right. Um, right. I think he was like passing through Boston. So they said, hey, you know, come and play a few games or something. What so. Brandon Phillips did was Brandon Phillips hit a winning home run That's in an right. afternoon game. I Atlanta, remember that one. Uh, a yeah. game that was completely bonkers from the start. Uh, Alex Cora had given just about all of his regulars the day off. It was a, it was a getaway day in Atlanta. Um, I think it was a midweek game, like a Wednesday or Thursday. 
Um, the Sox are down early. It, it was early. a day game, right? It was a day. It yeah, was like yeah. a 12.05 start. Right, right. Sox had nothing going on offense. They're down like 7-1 to one in the seventh inning. They end up coming all the way back, and Phillips hits a home run to left field that, that ultimately put them ahead. Yeah. Um, that was his one contribution, really. He, he did not. He, he was not on the postseason roster. He, he yeah. didn't make the postseason roster, yeah. and, and I remember uh, the, the workout day before the ALDS. At Fenway, um, they announced the roster. You went into the home clubhouse, and his locker had been cleaned out already. <laughs> he, was, he was already long gone. <laughs> he knew. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he he wasn't sticking around to cheer them on on the bench. Uh, That's right. You know, he was he was out of there. Um, but yes, Brandon. That Phillips. was that's very very impressive. I, I would never have gotten up with, uh, come up with Brandon Phillips because mainly I, I don't think I would remember he was even on the team. No, was really. Then there, it was he was here for five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know you don't see too many number zeros in baseball, no. and certainly on the Red Sox. So so when Adovino walks out there, and it kind of makes it's kind of cool when you're a pitcher and you've got a zero because you you want to give up zeros, right? Oh, good. Yeah, you that's know, good. As a hitter, maybe not so much, <laughs> you know. But uh, no. But uh, yeah, so it struck me and, and uh, made me uh, you know check Google to see who else, and it was I was surprised there was only one other guy from the Red Sox. Yeah. Uh, so. Bill, uh, one of the games, um, I forget which one it was, it was on ESPN, and uh, I ended up watching the ESPN broadcast, not because I don't like the local broadcast, I, I very much do like the local broadcast, but I don't know, it just happened to be on ESPN, That my TV happened to be on that channel, so I kept watching it, and uh, one, of the, uh, one of the guys doing the game was Tim Kirkjian, obviously a long-time baseball scribe and now broadcaster. Uh, and he said something at the time uh, during during the game that kind of caught my ear, and that was they were talking about you know the Red Sox and this season and how well they are doing as of now, and uh, if they could project forward, what do they see for the Red Sox this year? And I was very surprised by his answer because you know the Red Sox are essentially what twenty five games, twenty six games into the season, right? But he's, he, he was very confident in saying that he feels the Red Sox are a playoff team. Now, you know, lots can happen between now and uh, when these things are decided uh, in August and September. Sure. Sometimes very late September. Uh, but for somebody like Kirkjian, who watches lots and lots of baseball and, you know, all the teams, for him to come out and say something like that, you know, for me, was eye-opening because as well as they're playing, I would certainly not kind of go on a limb as of yet but as we know you know math kind of takes over at some point right right. and uh, you know we're not quite there yet but at some point if you are below 500 uh, it's a lot harder to get above 500 and surpass the teams that are ahead of you so I guess it wasn't that crazy Uh, I mean you know here we are on the doorstep of May and if the Red Sox skid for five games and the you know whatever the blue jays win five in a row or whatever it's a whole different uh thing but um i don't know what about what's your take on the red sox and playoffs and i mean because considering what where they did what they did last year i think most of us were very conservative in our uh sort of prognostications at least i was and i thought okay well they're probably going to do a little bit better than 500 you know maybe they'll play you know they'll get to 82 wins or something like that but you know they're on pace to do a lot more than that as of now. I preseason I said eighty five wins. <clears throat> and yep. and with the caveat that they could sell in July. 
you know, if they're not in playoff position or, or in a wild card spot. Right. They have a lot of guys who are going to go into free agency or who are on one year deals with a club option for 2022. And you could return some value on the trade market mm-hmm. uh, with pieces like that. Um, you know, so my caveat was if they are sellers, they'll win less than 85 games. Uh, baseball reference currently gives them about a 22% chance to make the postseason. I know before the year started that that was a single digit percentage. Wow. Um, you know, so that does reflect the math through 26 games, yep. that the fact they're six games over 500. Um, you know, whatever sort of pace they're on through, to, you know, you, you can do the math over yep. the, the next, you know, however many games that's going to be. Um, I think you're right in saying that seasons hit a critical point. You hit a certain number of games over 500. And your chances are suddenly X instead right. of, you know, Y. Right. And we're not there yet. I mean, they're, not they're five close. or six games over 500. We're not there yet. But but once you get to like 12, 13, 14 games over 500, it kind of it's a different deal. For, for me, generally 20 is the number because mm-hmm. that would make you a 91 win team at the end of the year. Yep. Uh, most teams that win 90 games you get in. in this wild card era, yep. you're, you're going to snag one of those spots. Um, it would take a very unbalanced league. Uh, you know, for the Red Sox to miss the playoffs with 90, 91, 92 wins. That that essentially means that four or five teams are going to break away from the American League and win 95 plus. Um, you know, and that's certainly possible. Right. Uh, but most years that just doesn't happen uh, because what that requires is some teams on the bottom to be truly terrible. You're, you're talking, you know, right. 50, 60 win teams on the other end. Um, you know, a huge spread right. in the stand. And the Red Sox uh, took advantage of that in 18. And I forget yes. what teams were. I think maybe it was the Orioles or one of them or something. Uh, Detroit was really bad. Right. That, the, the Orioles were really bad. Right. Yeah. Um, the Royals were really bad. Right. You had three teams that you were going to play, and you should really win 90% of those games. Well, and what the Red Sox did against the division that year, uh, the Royals and the Blue uh, – the Royals, sorry. The the Blue Jays and the Orioles, they just wore them out. Uh, yep. You know, in, in 30, 38 games um, against the two of them, they won more than 30. Uh, you know, just crushed those two teams at, at the bottom of the standings. I think they were thirty-two and six um, in the in the thirty-eight games against those two. When when you do something like that, you're just separating yep. away. Um, yep. But for me, it's it's a math equation. If you're twenty games over five hundred at some point, like let's say they get out to fifty-three and thirty-three, just to to use nice right. round numbers. Right. At that point, can you play five hundred for two and a half months? It's not unrealistic to think yep. because you've just played twenty over, right? right. Um, you know, so for me, that's sort of critical mass. If if you can get to twenty over, fifteen twenty over, then you can start talking about, hey, we get a chance in October. The math lines up in our favor. Yep. It's pretty good. Um, with all that said, you'd much rather be sixteen and ten than ten and sixteen. And and so for folks who are discussing playoff bids and trying to project things down the road. Um, it's a nice conversation to have. I, I know Alex Cora brought this up the other day, pregame, the notion of power rankings. Right. And, you know, since we do a fair amount of college sports here at the Journal, I, I took a little interest in that. He, he was talking about where the Red Sox started the year. Um, you know, they were in the 20s. Uh, for most folks, you know, 20, 20th, 21st, whatever it may be. The ranking of all the teams, right? Yes, yes. From, from 1 to 30, yeah. 30, 32, 30. 30. Um, 32 in football. Correct. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, last week, they're in the top five, whether yeah. it's according to The Athletic or CBS Sports or ESPN. Um, 
happened awful quick in four weeks. You, you suddenly <laughs> rise like that. Right. Um, but they've turned it into sort of a, an inside joke in, in the clubhouse. You know, hey, I, I wonder where we're going to be this week, you know, in the rankings. Are we yeah. going to be, you know, number six? Are we going to be number four? Uh, you know, Cora has college background. He played baseball at Miami. The Hurricanes were very good while he was there. They went to three College World Series. Um, they played a national championship game. Yep. Um, so he's not unfamiliar with the ranking system and how you can rise and fall and, and what sort of merits go into receiving votes. Right. Um, you know, and I think it's just another one of these things that the Red Sox are using, whether it's the laundry cart or the waving or, or whatever else, that's adding a little character, a little chip, uh, a little personality to their team to this point. Um, well, hopefully we'll still be having these discussions about power rankings. Uh, but if you looked at the Red Sox offense this past week, it hasn't exactly been gleaming. Now, there's been a couple of, uh, you know, uh, at least one standout moment to me, and that is Bobby Dahlbeck finally got his first home run mm. uh, d- uh, down in Chase Stadium. And, and, and that was good to see. And hopefully this is maybe sparking a little bit of a, uh, of a, uh, a streak for him. Kind of surprising that it took him this long, knowing how, how you know strong of a powerful of a hitter he is. But uh, you know, hopefully, this is the first of uh, of many to come. Uh, but you know, Bill, how concerned should should we be here with the Red Sox offense in the last few games? I mean, I think last night they didn't. I don't know. They only had like three hits or something like that. Uh, and even even the games that they won, they haven't exactly uh, they haven't exactly. Pounded their, the other team. It was a one nothing win uh, against Degrom. Uh, I forget what the score was when uh, when uh, Garrett Richards was pitching. Two to one. Yeah, it was, yep. but it was low scoring either, either way. And um, you know, teams are going to go through this. You're going to have you're going to have times when the offense is just not clicking. And but I, I would say this is probably the first. You know, well, I mean, maybe the opening series against the Baltimore, they probably weren't pounding the ball either. Uh, I can't quite remember. but No, they struggled. They were bad. Right. Uh, you know, is it is it just sort of the ups and downs of the season and uh, nothing to really worry about? Or are you, are you seeing things that maybe uh, rise to a, a higher concern? No, they're they're a little cool right now. I, I think that's fair to say. You only had three hits uh, on Thursday. Two of those were doubles by Alex Verdugo and by Rafael Devers. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I certainly you know I the encouraging thing I think you would say is is their last five games they haven't necessarily hit and they still went three and two. Uh, they would not have done that last year because their pitching was so bad. Right. Right. Um, and there are going to be times where. Over the course of the year, you don't hit, and you need your starters to carry you a little bit. Yep. Sometimes that happens. Uh, for the Red Sox, it's it's happened well, this week, and that's a good thing. But it's a good point. That they have starters that can carry them this year. Right now, it looks that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, you're looking at some of these as of late. You know, Kiki Hernandez, I think, his on, his on-base percentage is something like in the last 25 games, or in in the 25 games he's played, is, is below three. Yeah. Below 300. 271. You know, not, not great. Not good for a leadoff hitter. No. You know, uh, you know um, Verdugo, who's got a 371 on base percentage, still not great. Um, uh, you know, still early. You know, we're seeing ups and downs here. Uh, but, you know, in the old days, or the old days, you know, you're going back to maybe when uh, uh, Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz would anchor that line oh, wait, now you if, would, if those are the old days then really <laughs> no I they're mean, not the then they're not the very old days uh, they're the medium oh, old please. days please 
<laughs> How long ago was that now? That was probably 15 years ago, right? Well, I, it, what I realized last night is that Mac Jones was born my sophomore year of college. So you want to talk about <laughs> well, feeling I've, old. I've rounded that bend a long time ago. Yeah. Oh, I almost started to cry. Right, sure. Well, I remember watching the draft, the NFL draft, when I was a teenager. And, you know, all these people were older than me. And then I was about the same age. But then you're in your 20s, and you're like, yeah, yeah, we're kind of in the... And now, of course, they're the, they're the age of my children. No, it's, it's, it's terrifying to think. <laughs> but, uh, um, no, the, the, lineup, the lineup as a whole, um, you know, Christian Vasquez had, had struggled a little bit at, yeah. until the double the other night against DeGrom. Right. Uh, Kike Hernandez has a 671 OPS, 271 on base. You know, that's not ideal out of your leadoff guy. Right. Uh, Franchi Cordero and, and Hunter Renfro have been pretty much automatic outs. Yeah. To, to this point, yep. um, you know they've really struggled. Uh, Marvin Gonzalez hasn't given you much. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck has has looked like a rookie at, at times. Um, you know he should certainly be given more latitude because it is his first year. He is a good defensive first baseman. Yep. Uh, he's somebody that you hope will find it, uh, sure. and his power plays in in just about any park. You knew strikeouts are going to be part of the deal. Um, I guess what you need, based on all that is you need Martinez, Bogarts, Devers to be elite. Yeah. It puts more pressure on those guys to carry your offense. You're not necessarily getting contributions from elsewhere, like maybe you were during the nine-game winning streak where it seemed like everybody was doing something. Sure. Um, yeah. Verdugo, I, I think, has been pretty good. Um, you know, he's got an 894 OPS. His average is up to 314. Um, you know, last night, he hits double. He scores the only run in, in the sixth inning. Um, you know, type of guy who just makes consistent hard contact. Uh, you know, going to all fields. He's, he's third on their team in hits right now. Um, you know, and looks solid batting in front of Martinez and Bogarts. Mm-hmm. I, I just think, though, that, you know, the lineup at the top, you don't necessarily have a great table setter in Hernandez. Um, and the lineup at the bottom, you've got a lot of guys who are going to be automatic outs there. Um, you know, and, and it's not necessarily as deep a group as, as you would like to have. And, and when Martinez or Bogarts or Devers inevitably have you know, a stretch where they go two for 20 or, or something like that, I think you have a little less margin where other guys are going to be able to pick it up and, and drive you forward. Uh, you know, so in that respect, I think there is a little more pressure on those guys to do something night right. in and night out. You know, and this this should all be tempered by the fact that there's we're still, you know, one month into the season and it doesn't take much to swing the average and the OPS uh, you know, cons- uh, significantly. You know, you have two or three really good games and, and those numbers can, can uh, jump pretty quickly. Uh, but, you know, just if you look back, they haven't been scoring a ton of runs and, and still figuring out, figuring out a way to win, which is a great sign. But you want them to start scoring runs again. They're going to have to. You know, I'm yeah. going to look back to, you know, what I know you consider to be uh, one of the most overlooked Red Sox teams among the champions, and that's 2007. Yeah. Um, a team that, that I've, you've described in this podcast before as a wagon. Yeah. A uh, club that started off really well and just kept going. Wire and, to and wire. Be, and, yeah. You look at some of the offensive options in that lineup, 
Yeah. <laughs> that lineup is a lot better than this of course, lineup. Of uh, course, yeah. The easy outs in that lineup were Jason Veritek and J.D. Drew, and they both had OPSs over 785. Wow. Um, you even know, even Veritek, huh? You, you had a wow. ton of guys who were way over 800, whether yeah. it's Kevin Euclid, Dustin Pedroia, Mike Lowell had an 879 OPS, Manny Ramirez was 881, David Ortiz was 1066. Yeah, that, I, I mean, just there were so many guys who could hurt you yeah. in that group. Um, it was the same thing in 2018. You you had great depth yeah. in that lineup, and a lot of that had to do with Betts being at the top, and then Martinez being in the middle, and Bogarts, Bogarts emerging right. as an elite slugger. Yep. Um, this group is a little thinner, uh, you know, for n- sure. Not not as catalytic at the top, and and certainly nowhere near as deep going towards the bottom. And and right. so I think you know when you have Bogarts have a tough night like he did on Thursday. Um, you know Martinez, who, who's battling migraines and, and should miss Friday's game. Uh, you're hoping that that's a, a short-term thing. Um, if any of their performance slips a little bit, the other guys who they're trying to get by with are, are going to get ex- they're going to get exposed. Right, right. And yet you, Bill, have been have been uh, pointing out that teams that get off to the kind of start like the Red Sox teams get off because of the kind of start that this team has, like 16 wins or whatever it is. You know, the last three teams have won World Series. So here you are putting undue pressure on the Red Sox early in the season. That's all my fault. <laughs> all my fault that they squeezed, that they only got three hits on Thursday, right? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's an impressive stat, though. The teams have gotten, the, the, you know, Red Sox teams have gotten off to this kind of start and have basically gone on to win the World Series. I mean, talk about uh, pressure on that team. And I don't, I certainly don't think of this team as being as good of, as any of those teams. Not yet. I mean, as you just pointed out, I don't. There isn't the depth uh, in the lineup, but you know, who knows? We'll see. We'll see as we as we uh, as we move move ahead into the season. I don't want to leave the, uh, the pitching completely far behind, before we uh, before I uh, uh, bring up Garrett Whitlock, who's been really just aces for them, and who knew, right? Right. So this was a uh, this was a rule five. Uh, was this the rule five guy? Rule five pick from yep. the Yankees. From the Yanks. Yes. And coming off Tommy John surgery. Right. And and in these, I want to say thirteen innings or so so far this year, uh, has basically been, well, like perfect, I guess, or pretty close to it. Right. I mean, he's given up six hits, no runs. He's uh, struck out uh, like eighteen batters in thirteen innings. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he's one of those feel good stories that came out of the spring that he got to. You know, he made the he made the team, um, but he's really he's the he's been the real thing so far. It's been great to watch him. Yeah, two scoreless innings the other night behind Pavetta uh, on Wednesday, and you know this is the type of guy who, if you're high in bloom, uh, and if you're the scouting department with the Red Sox, you you take a victory lap on this one. This <laughs> this is the type of guy who you point to and you say, you want to question our decisions. Look what we did with Garrett Whitlock. Right, and the fact that he came back came from the Yankees doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt either. We stole him in broad daylight in in the Rule Five draft. Right, um, right. You know, Garrett Whitlock had never pitched above Double A. Yep. Uh, had Tommy John surgery, did not pitch at all in 2020. Uh, was not working out with the Yankees. Um, you know, at their alternate site, he he was rehabbing. Um, you know, but this is a guy who has come in, and and I think the thing I like most about Garrett Whitlock is that he works quick and throws strikes. Yeah. That says to me that he has a certain level of confidence, a certain level of belief in his in stuff. His stuff yeah. and, and I think that that is the most important thing a pitcher can have, quite frankly. Um, you know, aside from 
physical ability and command and, and whatever it may be. That belief that I'm just going to go out and I'm going to throw my pitches and I'm going to get outs and you know I'm I'm just going to do my job like. That's the most important thing that, that anyone could have going out there. And the, the defense really appreciates that, too, typically, when the pitcher goes out there, works quick. You know, it doesn't take these long rain delays between each, <laughs> between oh, each pitch absolutely. kind of thing. Walks around the mound or anything, gets the ball, and he throws the ball, you know. Uh, and you think, of the, you think of the really good, effective pitchers the Red Sox have had in recent years. You know, Chris Sale. And, you know, these guys tend to work pretty quick. Uh, so... Anyway, it, hopefully Garrett's season continues the way it's been going. It's, it's been fun to watch. It's such a great story. Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that he, he was the Rule 5 pick coming from the Yankees doesn't hurt either. Well, I, I know you particularly enjoy that. I, I just uh, want to see him beat the Yankees. Yeah. That, that's the ultimate thing, right? Br- bring him in, in at Yankee Stadium and have him sit down the side. Well, con- considering that, you know, you wanted to bash the Yankees on last week's podcast, and, <laughs> and then they went off and won three straight. I know. That, that's why I had to do it then, because you know it was going to happen. Clearly, they were listening to you, Bill Corey. You <laughs> right. motivated them uh, right. you know, to snap out of the doldrums there. Um, you know, in Whitlock's case, though, the, the, the Red Sox, the way they're using him, I, I think, you know, folks should pay attention to the fact that he's had significant rest between his outings, yep. uh, at least three full days of rest between all of his appearances to date. Uh, and that's because they see him as a starter going forward. Um, and, and the fact that he's still sort of fresh off Tommy John surgery, they want him to sort of stick to a regular throwing program. The temptation is... You know, move him into a higher leverage role. Make him an eighth inning guy. Make him a seventh inning guy. You know, make, make him the closer. Why not? Right, uh, you right. know, something along those lines. Um, either that or why don't we stretch him out and start him right now? I, I think they're yep. taking a very conservative approach um, from a physical standpoint, and, and I think they feel like that will better serve him going forward. I, I certainly think that if he goes through a full season here, um, and has a sort of normal buildup to 2022, I think you could see them discuss him as a starter for next year. Wow. Um, whether that's be, you know, whether that's developing him at first at AAA or whether or not they give him a shot uh, at one of the five spots in Boston's rotation uh, to start next season. But I know that that is the long-term goal for him is, is to have him be a starting pitcher. And, and I think they've sort of tailored his workload accordingly here. Well, they're not shying away from using him in high leverage situations, right? I mean, you know, he uh, Cora has certainly shown confidence in him, uh, and and uh, Whitlock has responded. You know, he's he's uh, been as effective uh, at any point when when he's called upon. So, you know, I guess that wouldn't be surprising if they could keep him on the schedule and get him, you know, with the eye of getting him into the rotation next season. You know. Uh, kind of a nice bonus that I don't think anybody was really thinking about or even uh, thought was a possibility. No, I, I mean, he was a starter in the minor <clears> leagues. <throat> he, he made 42 appearances for the Yankees, and, and only four of those were out of the bullpen. Um, he's a Rule 5 guy, so you want to keep him on the roster. You don't really have a choice uh, you know, through the end of the season. So it turns into what can we do with this guy that helps him and helps us? And, and they've settled on – this multi-inning role. Uh, yep. The other night, you know, it's a one-nothing game. It's in New York. It's the sixth inning. Pavetta is is up over eighty pitches. You know, that's sort of the spot where you would see Whitlock come into a game. Um, you know, regardless of the score, 
I, I think because he's pitched well, they, they were more comfortable using him. Um, you know, but I also think that, that it was his turn. Um, you know, it was his spot. Right. He'd had enough rest. Right. Um, you know, he'd thrown reasonably well enough coming into it. Um, you know, hey, this is a spot we're going to use him. Let's see how much further he can walk out here mm-hmm. onto the plank. Right, um, right. You know, we've already sort of nudged him out a little bit. Let's see if we can get him out a little further. And, you know, he, he lets a couple guys on in the sixth inning. He, he walks one. He gives up a hit, gets out of it. And then he comes out one, two, three, and the seventh and, yep. and just buzzes through. And, you know, I think if, if I'm Garrett Whitlock, um, you know, it's, it's the sort of thing where he's got it rolling right now. It couldn't be better for right. him than, than it is right now. Um, you know, so why shouldn't he act that way? Why shouldn't he feel that way? Um, you know, Matt Andrees was talking about him a little bit on Thursday pregame. Um, and he said, yeah, he's, he's had a lot of success early. And a lot of guys don't necessarily handle that very well. You know, they either try to do a little bit more or they get a little bit overconfident or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And he said, I feel like this kid has a really good head on his shoulders and, and is the type of guy who would be able to handle it. Uh, Cora pregame said that, you know, not only is Whitlock pitching well, but, you know, he can even perform the rookie duties well. He, he, said, he, <laughs> he said he's perfect carrying the beer on, on the team charter. Uh, on on top of it, uh, you know. So, so first things first, right? First things first. Right, you got to be able to do this. Got to serve the veterans, uh, <laughs> you know. So I I certainly think that uh, you know he's carved himself out a, a nice role here. Um, he's certainly performed well enough to to earn it. Um, and I think from a player development standpoint, a front office standpoint, um, that will be one of the storylines going forward that they will be most proud of. Is one of the storylines story that Andres kind of showed him a change-up or taught him, uh, taught him a pitch in uh, spring training that, that, that he's using now? I think that was being discussed d- uh, during one of the broadcasts. And th- that, that really amazes me that, you know, spring training is only a couple of months ago and, you know, teaches, teaches him a pitch and here he is throwing it in big league games against big league hitters and, and being effective with it. Whitlock was, he, he did have a change-up previously. He, he's yeah. a fastball slider change-up guy, uh, mostly fastball change-up. Um, Andres didn't necessarily change his grip, but he gave him a few mental cues. You know, keep your arm speed consistent. Um, you know, you want to throw your two-seamer and your change-up out of the same tunnel, uh, you know, so it's deceptive for yeah, hitters. Right. Um, you know, you may want to think about using it in this count or, or against this type of hitter. Um, you know, the sort of veteran things that Andres can pass along, because he's been in the big leagues since, I think, 2014. Um, so he's had right. instances where he's been a starter, he's been a reliever, he's right. been in high leverage spots. He's, he's a very been, versatile guy. It's it's one of those great guys to have in your bullpen because you can do a lot of things with him. He he's been a good signing so far, yeah. and and certainly, you know, there is value in having veteran guys like that around to mentor younger guys when right. they come up who might do similar things to you. And mm-hmm. and in his case, you know, Whitlock is throwing two seam fastballs and, and changeups. Andres knows a lot about that, and, and any sort of knowledge that he can pass along, um, you know, is more than welcome. It, it would be similar to if you had a left-hander who's in the organization who's a fastball slider type. Yep. Who better to talk to than Chris Sale right. about being a fastball slider guy? Um, you're not necessarily going to deliver it the same way. You're not going to have the same grip, 
but he can give you philosophical tips like, you know, on two and one against this guy, this is what I like to do. Or, you know, if you're missing, you know, up and away, you know, you might want to make this little right, change right. or, you know, just, just move, move to this side of the rubber or yes, the mound or whatever. Right, you know, just right. the sort of little tweaks that go on behind the scenes, just maybe little verbal or mental cues that, that go on behind the scenes that, yep. that we might not necessarily notice, but like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, there are little degrees here that separate the good from the really good, the good from guys who are out of the league five yeah. minutes later. And, 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 and if Andres can give Garrett Whitlock even an extra percent or two in terms of his ability to succeed, it makes a huge difference. You brought up Chris Sale, so I'm going to ask the question, How? what's the latest news on him as he... As he um, I know that uh, they say that they were saying he's getting close to taking the mound or pitching from the mound. Has that happened, or is that going to happen soon? What's uh, what have we heard lately about Chris Sale? Uh, he is in Fort Myers. He he traveled uh, on Sunday. Um, yep. He was playing long toss at Fenway Park before that, out to 135 feet. Um, generally, if if you are extending your long toss, you will start throwing on flat ground. Um, and, and then once that happens, you will transition to the mound. And, and I would imagine that Chris Sale will be off the mound at some point in May. I, I think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he is uh, 13 months removed from Tommy John surgery. I, I think today actually is, is his anniversary. I think it was March 30th uh, of last year. Um, he's 13 months removed. Uh, the recovery time is usually 12 to 15 months. Uh, so he's right in the window in, in terms of when he would start to be aggressive. Uh, they felt like he made some really good progress in Boston over the first month of the season. Mm. Um, you know, Him going to Fort Myers gives him the opportunity not only to work with the medical staff, um, you know, not only to, to sort of utilize the whole training facility there, uh, but he can throw in simulated games against minor leaguers who, who are working out there. Yep. Uh, he can get live game situations there, whether it's batting practice, simulated inning, whatever it may be. Um, you know, once he gets up and he's off the mound and, and he's throwing a little bit and he builds up his pitch count a little bit, um, then he can sort of get into what he needs to get into to really consider a comeback here. Um, you know, I still think he's, he's a few months away. I, I mentioned on a previous podcast, I think August 1st is, is probably a good target date yep. for him, even though they're, they're not commenting on a, on a time frame. Um, you know, but he is progressing. They, they feel good about where he's at, at at this point. It does seem like he has taken some steps forward since the first of the year. Well, I, you know, I, I know most Red Sox fans are rooting for him because it, what a great midseason acquisition if he comes back and can be effective and can resemble the Chris Sale that, that he was a few seasons ago. And if the Red Sox are still on that path to the playoffs or, you know, above 500, you know, having somebody like Chris Sale come back in and kind of Help uh, anchor that line, uh, that pitching rotation. Boy, that that would that would go such a long way. It's so hard to know though, with you know Tommy John surgery and recovering and and kind of getting your stuff back. It usually takes a while. Uh, you know, it's like kind of a year and a half kind of thing before you are back to sort of normal. I, I think the hardest thing about it is that you know a lot of times, whether it's Tommy John recovery or an ACL recovery, it's not linear. Yeah, you're going right. to have some setbacks. Right. Uh, you know, every human body is different. Mm-hmm. They're going to react differently to, you know, whatever sets of ex- uh, exercises. You know, whatever sort of strain you you put on it in the rehab process. Um, and, and so it's not linear. You you have 
some sort of checkpoints. You, you have some benchmarks that, that you'd like to reach. Uh, but people reach them at different times. You know, I think back to like in the NFL, I, I think Adrian Peterson tore his ACL and was back in nine months, hmm. something along those lines. Right, and, right. and then the next year had one of his best seasons uh, of his career. And, and you're looking at it and you're thinking, nine months? How? How do you do that? Yeah, you know, how does right. that happen? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, I, I consider Adrian Peterson to be the modern Jim Brown, um, you know, in terms of physical stature, running style, right, uh, right. degrees of greatness. Um, you know, so maybe he just is the bionic man. Uh, you know, in, in terms of sale, you're looking at him and he's 13 months out and, and there would be some guys who would have already started a rehab assignment or, or already would, you know, be closer to pitching in games. He had two setbacks. He yep. had some neck stiffness that set him back. And then he had COVID-19 in right. January, which set him back. Um, and when you're trying to project out rehab, whether it's over you know, 12, 14, 15 months, you can set the benchmarks, you can set workouts, you can say in month 13, this is what you're going to do mm-hmm. at the start. But I would imagine it's it's sort of like planning a wedding. Like at some point, a vendor's going to drop out or there's going to be a price increase on something that you didn't anticipate or... You know, you're not going to be able to monogram the napkins and you think, oh, right. my God, you know, what are and we going to do? The cake is how much? Right. Right. You know, and that's that's over the course of a year or however many months. And, and you think about I have not planned a wedding. You have. <laughs> well, um, you know, this my lovely bride did most of the planning, fortunately. Well, but, that's good. Yeah. But I was I, sure I had you, one job and I did it. So. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure you heard all about it and, and, <laughs> right. and all of the, uh, you know, all the arrangements that went into the day. And, yeah. You know, all the careful details that, that Claudine, uh, you know, so meticulously went over, I, I'm sure, um, you know, to make it special and, and make it memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that takes a long time and a lot of attention. Uh, and a lot of those things are just on paper. You're not dealing with a human body. Right. And, and right. so when you when you have Chris Sale and you think, oh, well, yeah, here's this timeline, 12 to 15 months, and we're going to do this in month eight <laughs> and this in month nine. It's not always that cut and dry. Well, hopefully August 1st comes around and we're all dancing at the wedding, so to speak, right? That's right. Uh, hopefully he does uh, He does make that uh, return. Uh, you know, August 1st is a uh, is a significant date for another reason. And oh, that's that, right. That is because, um, it, it's not my uh, wedding anniversary, if that's what you're thinking, Bill. But You better know what day that is, by <laughs> I the way. I do. All right, good. I do, and it's not that. Good. Uh, in Massachusetts, Governor Baker has said that by August 1st that uh, we, Fenway Park and most venues should be back to full capacity. Yes. Uh, which is great news. Yes. I think it shows that the numbers are going in the right way. I think it shows that the vaccines are getting uh, – they're out there. More and more, more and more of the population has the vaccine. Uh, I think we are kind of steamrolling back towards normalcy. It doesn't mean that you know uh, we're going to not have any masks in, in any – uh, situation, but I think that uh, for the most part, we can kind of congregate and go to ball games and concerts and clubs and restaurants and things like that again. And, and I obviously know that there's a lot of restaurant owners that uh, are waiting desperately for that day to come back because they've certainly been hammered. Yes. Uh, but uh, that is a good sign. Let's hope that, in fact, it is August 1st, if not even sooner. I know the governor might, was dropping hints, uh, I think, today or yesterday that it may, it may happen even sooner. Uh, you know, obviously, it's a function of numbers and, and uh, how well we've got, the, uh, we've got the, uh, the pandemic under control. But, you know, Bill, uh, when, when we all went home from the office about a little over a year ago, yeah. um, I don't know about you, but there was no way that I would have 
uh, envisioned us having the year that we've had staying out of the office and away from people and uh, it's just so gratifying and uh, uh, encouraging that we are seem to be anyway kind of on the doorstep of, of just about normalcy. I'm just happy that I can hug my mom again. Yeah. And and not sure. have to worry about getting her sick. Right. I'm happy that I can hug my nephew and, and play with him. How old is he now? He's 11 months. Wow. Um, you know, he'll be a year in, in late May. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's just it's just the little things like that. Uh, you know, I, I've had my second shot. I'll be fully immune next Wednesday. Great. I can't wait to go to a bar and just order a beer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You know, and, yeah, and, it's just those little things that we haven't been able to do in forever. You know, not and not have to worry about getting COVID. Um, yep. You know, and I, I just, I think that, you know, folks lowering, uh, you know, folks rescinding those guidelines and, and sort of, you know, raising those capacity limits in stadiums, um, you know, whether it's for sporting events, concerts, whatever it may be. Uh, those obviously reflect vaccination rates. They, they obviously reflect progress that we've made as a whole. Um, you know, and they, and, and they are going to reflect a, a celebration in this country, I think. I, I, I really <clears throat> believe that once you get to that point where Fenway Park is open and Gillette Stadium is open and, and you have the Red Sox and the Patriots and, and concerts and whatever it may be, I can't wait to see what the atmospheres of those are going to be like. I, I cannot wait. I, I think you'll probably have some hiccups early. You're, you're going to have some masking, I would think, at those events, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I certainly cannot wait for that first night that there's a sold-out Fenway Park. Um, you know, August 1st, the capacity deadlines are, are lifted. The Red Sox' first home game would be August 10th. Okay, so they're on the road. Against Tampa. They are on the road. Yeah. They play Tampa, Detroit, and Toronto. Yeah. Um, their first home game back would be August 10th. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the first event at Fenway would be a concert. I, I know Guns N' Roses was scheduled to play August 3rd. Billy Joel is scheduled for August 4th. I have tickets nice. for that one. Um, for Billy Joel? Yes. Yeah. And, and that's sort of been a date. They rescheduled that from last year. I've had tickets for it. That's sort of been like the the light in the future that That's I've great. looked at. Yeah. Um, you know, over the course of the last year, you know, when they rescheduled the show last May and, and they announced, you know, the tour is going to be off and, and we're going to reschedule the dates for, for next year. Yeah. And they said August 4th. And it's, you know, they're spitballing the date. The Red Sox right. are away. It's in the summer. Right. Who That's knows? when it's available. They're right. guessing. But you're watching the vaccine play out. Uh, you're watching the, the virus play out. And the timelines pay, play out, and the progress that we're making, whether it's lowering infections, lowering hospitalizations, uh, increasing vaccine numbers, and you're looking at it and you're trying to sync it up on, on the two tracks. <laughs> yeah. And you're thinking, okay, when is this going to happen? Right. Is August 4th really going to happen? Is, is it realistic? Um, is it a night that I can actually start to get a little excited for? Sure. Um, and you're waiting for government officials to, to reach that point where they are comfortable, where the vaccine numbers are at a certain point or the availability is at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And they can say, yes, we're going to open these venues and you can come out into the streets and you can celebrate this sort of thing and get together with folks and you know, just sit in a bar and talk about sports or you know, just go to a concert and enjoy you know, greatness from someone like Billy Joel or, or Dave Matthews mm-hmm. or you know, whoever it may be. <clears throat> Um, 
I just I can't wait for it. And and I I'm so excited that it's starting to become a reality that that you can get more and more optimistic about it because for so long in in this industry and and everywhere else all we were writing about was postponements rescheduling um things that weren't going to happen i i'm so excited to write about things and talk about things that will happen again absolutely no well said well said and and yeah august 1st can't come soon enough i've got a uh, i've got a uh, daughter who is going to be graduating from college uh, in in Massachusetts, and her graduation uh, is not going to be on the campus, but is going to be at Gillette Stadium now. Wow, cool! Yeah, and it's uh, going to be at the end of July, so it's not going to be quite be when everything is opened up. But they are certainly letting a certain number of family members go. So we are absolutely is, looking this forward. This is uh, Bridgewater State daughter. This is my Correct? Bridgewater State daughter, right? Yep. Right, uh, graduating with a degree in education. Fantastic! Uh, yeah, and uh, you know. Uh, Let's hope that uh, all of those things that the high school seniors and the college seniors and students that have been that they've been missing out on can kind of return in some form here. Well, in, in, in along those lines, Fenway Park is opening up for city high schools to graduate. Yeah, I just um, saw that, which is great. That's fantastic. Which is awesome. You know, make some make it. Spe- I mean, we're looking forward to being at Gillette Stadium because you Absolutely. know, Bridgewater State is a beautiful campus. It would have been wonderful, but the fact that you're going to have it at the home of the Patriots in that beautiful big stadium, it kind of gives it a little bit of extra oomph, you know. So we're looking forward to that, and then I'm sure graduating high school graduation at Fenway Park, you're not going to forget that. Well, it's just so unique. It's such a story that sure. you'll tell for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's born out of really terrible circumstances you'd much rather have it conventional and and you'd much rather have it to the point where uh you know we didn't have to go through all this and and that we didn't have to live you know the last 13 months and and ultimately the last year and a half um you know nobody wants this again and and you know we're going to look back on it it's going to be a challenge and and something that you know we talk about in in solemn tones um you know but to come out of it with something like a graduation at Gillette Stadium or at Fenway Park where mm. you can tell your kids and your grandkids, hey, you know, it, it was sort of tough times while, you know, I was going yeah. through that. And, and we tried to make the most of it. Sure. And this is what we did. Yeah. We did something that nobody else has done. Yeah. And that nobody else will do. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. 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 I mean, it's, it's certainly been a long and difficult road with the number of people that have been lost to the pandemic. Uh, it's great that we can uh, get to a point now where society can kind of feel safe and, and start resuming some normal activities. And hopefully that that doesn't we don't go backwards. Um, so, Bill, here we are uh, again, knocking on the door of an hour. It's amazing how time flies when you're talking Red Sox and other things. Uh, but. Uh, so the Sox, just to uh, do some housekeeping here, are wrapping up their series down in uh, Texas this weekend. Yes. Uh, they play tonight, Friday. They play tomorrow, Saturday night, and they've got a Sunday afternoon game. Correct. And then they come back and they see the Tigers and the Orioles. And is that it? Uh, Tigers home Orioles, yeah. at the Orioles for four. Oh, at the Orioles. I'm sorry. You're Over right. the weekend. Yeah, that's right. So it was a quick homestand with the Tigers. Quick three games at home with yep. the Tigers. Yep. Uh, uh, after a Monday off, which which I'm sure they will appreciate. That's right. <laughs> as you as will you. Sure. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, then they go to uh, Baltimore and they come back to host the Oakland A's. So uh, we will be uh, keeping tabs as usual. 
Bill, it's a beautiful. Well, it was a beautiful day. It's a little windy, but it's uh, it's it's not too bad out there. So warm day feels good. Yeah, so we can get out there and enjoy it a little bit, and we will check back in a uh, in a week and see where our Red Sox are uh, are doing what what they're doing. Bill, thanks again. Thanks, Bill.